Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. Good morning, everyone. I appreciate Pastor Gary filling in for me last week. I was getting a little R&R and also doing a wedding, so a little bit of a working vacation, but it was a great time. And I'm always I'm grateful that I know things are in good hands when I'm away and I don't have to worry about it. I've got a great team. We've got a great team. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Continuing this series on seek first, the word seek is used multiple times in both the Old and New Testaments. And so there's obviously an importance to it that God has placed upon it. And seeking the right things at the right times is the key to spiritual, mental, emotional, and even physical health and well-being. Seek first indicates setting proper priorities in our lives and doing the first things first. And so our whole sermon series is based on the text in Matthew 6, 25, which says... The words of Jesus, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. And then Jesus concludes with these words in verse 33, but seek first his kingdom. So do not worry, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So this is an incredible passage of scripture that God has given for you and me. Aren't you glad that the Bible is so practical? What we read in this book, we can live out in our everyday lives. And I want to challenge you today to live out your life according to God's word. Do you finally want to be free from fear? Do you truly long to be delivered from worry? Do you finally desire to overcome your anxiety? Then we have to apply these principles in God's word. The word is there. The power is there. But we must speak it and we must apply it in our own lives. And I, I want to be free of those things. I want to be delivered of that so I can live in peace and walk in the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. And so I just want to encourage you today to, to God is going to speak something to you. I believe every person here, God has a word for you. And I'm always amazed how God speaks differently to different people out of one message. But if you're hungry and if you're waiting for something from the Lord, he will bring you a word today, I believe. And so the causes of worry is found in the story of Mary and Martha. Let's read that, Luke 10, 38, in the NIV. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? That my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. One of the things I like to do is read more than one translation because we get the, the fuller picture. So let's read the same passage in the Amplified Bible. Now, while they were on their way, it occurred that Jesus entered a certain village and a woman named Martha received and welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister named Mary who seated herself at the Lord's feet and was listening to his teaching. But Martha, overly occupied and too busy, was distracted with much serving. And she came up to him and said, Lord, is it nothing to you 
that my sister has left me to serve alone. Tell her then to help me to lend a hand and do her part along with me. But the Lord replied to her by saying, Martha, Martha. Isn't that the Brady Bunch? Martha, Martha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. If you've never heard of the Brady Bunch, do you need to go on TV land or something? But anyway, Martha, Martha. You are anxious and troubled about many things. There is need of only one or but a few things. Mary has chosen the good portion, that which is to her advantage, which shall not be taken from her. And so we started a message on the cause of worry. This is part two, the cause of worry, part two. And then hopefully next week we'll learn the cure. Right now we're just looking at the cause. So I'm sorry you have to stay worried for one more week and we'll bring you the cure. So for the sake of your review a few weeks ago, the first origin of worry is, number one, being overly occupied. Martha had opened her home to Jesus. This was a good thing. She had genuine hospitality. However, based on her personality, she had to know that this would cause her great anxiety. She wanted Jesus to come over to her house, but then when he said, okay, she's like, oh no, what have I done? The things are out of order. The dishes are in the sink. I mean, she immediately began to panic. We sometimes do things we know will create stress for ourselves. Sometimes we bring on our own stress by things we know we shouldn't be doing, that we don't need to do. And Martha was overly occupied with lesser things. And worry is the result of being overly occupied with too many small matters. You've heard that you die of a thousand cuts. Well, that's what worry is like. We worry about stupid things, small things. And when those build up, it creates an angst in our heart and in our soul. Another instigator of worry is, number two, being too busy. As soon as Martha gave the invitation, she might have immediately regretted it. She had too many irons in the fire to begin with. And so being too busy will certainly bring worry into our life. Another reason for worry, number three, this is all review. This is all review. We're going to get to the meat of it in just a second. Number three, becoming distracted is another cause of worry. Now this word distracted means to drag all around. Boy, that's a good definition. To be pulled in different directions. And that was Martha. She was being dragged around by her own internal struggle. And she was pulled in different directions by her own cares and concerns. She had these expectations of herself, and she wrongly assumed that others expected her to have a clean house. Jesus is coming over. We better clean the house. When Jolene, when our, our kids were young and Jolene would be away that last day before she had come home, I, I'd crack the whip. Come on, mom's coming home. Let's clean the house. Let's clean the house. And man, I'd crack that whip. And that was Martha, man. She's like, Oh no, I invited Jesus over. Now, I, I really believe Martha wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus just like Mary. But there was this internal struggle within her that she could not rest until everything was done and done perfectly. Now, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise hands if that reflects on you. Or I'm not going to ask your spouse to raise their hands if that reflects on you. But some of us cannot rest until everything is done and done our way. And the problem is we never rest. Because especially when you have things called children, they get into your life. 
Being distracted, drug around, and pulled in different directions will definitely result in worry. Now, it's this whole idea of being distracted. I, I shared last time that people really can't multitask. We, we try, we bounce back and forth between things, but our mind really can't comprehend it. And so, you know, we may be focused on one thing and we get this distraction. Have you ever been driving along in your car and then you decided to turn down your stereo so you could see better? <laughs> I, I sincerely remember one time I could smell something in my car and so I turned down the stereo so I could smell better. Is that just ridiculous? But that's reality because we, we need, oh, you know, we can only use one sense at, the, at a time, the sense of smell we can't, and the sense of sight. That we, we get easily distracted from those things. Another symptom of worry is number four, feeling overwhelmed by overcommitments. Oh boy. Martha was overwhelmed by much serving and all the preparation that she felt had to be made. How many of you know we, we may have a different perspective than other people. We look at it and the house looks clean. Someone else sees, oh man, this is a messy house. And so Martha was overwhelmed. She had overcommitted herself. And you know what? It was a big job she had taken on. It wasn't just bringing Jesus over to her house. It was those 12 dudes that followed around with him that smelled like fish. And so we see in the Life Application Bible addresses that. It says, Jesus did not come alone. He had 12 disciples with him who all needed to have their feet washed, that was the custom, to be made comfortable and to have a meal prepared for them. A respectable hostess in the ancient world would extend all of these courtesies to his or her guests. The impression here, however, is that Martha was overdoing it. She wanted something extra special for the master, but she had let herself get to the point where she was worrying overworked and unable to enjoy these guests. In attempting to serve Jesus, she did not understand or attend to Jesus' reason for being there. And so because of her overcommitments, Martha missed the real reason Jesus was there in the first place. Due to feeling overwhelmed, she couldn't even enjoy Jesus. I'm telling you, there are times we are so overwhelmed, we cannot even enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And if we're too overwhelmed like that, something's got to change. And what Martha was doing was good. It, it wasn't bad. It wasn't evil. But it wasn't the best. She was doing the good, but not the best. And as I said last couple weeks ago, to say yes to the best, sometimes you will have to say no to the good. It's better to make fewer commitments than to break commitments and overcommit ourselves. Another source of worry, number five, is thinking that God doesn't care. Martha actually accused Jesus of not caring about the problems she had brought upon herself. Isn't it amazing? We, we blame shift, we blame God, and we think God doesn't care when we're the ones that have messed things up. And complicated our lives. No matter how we feel in the moment, it is never good to claim that God doesn't care. God always cares. Always. And if we say God doesn't care, then the misunderstanding is with us, not with God. If we don't feel like God cares, it's, it's our feelings that are the problem, not God. Because God always cares. 
So all of that was review. Five points. Here we go. The next five points. Number six. Another condition that causes worry is feelings of unfairness. Martha said, my sister has left me to do all the work while she sits on her duff. That's the James Lair translation. Martha was obsessed with fairness. And she felt Mary was taking advantage of her. And she wanted Jesus to know that. Jesus, have we ever done that? Jesus, have you noticed that person over there? They're not doing near what I'm doing. It's always dangerous. When everybody tried to shift Jesus' focus on someone else, it came right back on them. Remember Peter? When Jesus said, you're going to die, you're going to be crucified, that's basically what he was saying. And Peter said, well, what about John? And Jesus said, that's none of your stinking business. What about you? And so Martha went to tell, on Jesus, to tell Jesus on her sister. She narked on her sister. And we see this, this obsession she had with fairness. Look at Luke 10:40 in the New Living Translation. But Martha was distracted by the big dinner she was preparing. No leftovers for Martha. This was going to be dinner from scratch. Go kill the pig. It, oh, well, you're not a pig. They were, they were kosher. I'm sorry. Go, that would have been a problem. Go kill the calf. And she came to Jesus and said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you? Oh, that's manipulate. Lord, doesn't it, doesn't it seem to you that this is a little out of order? Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits there while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. Martha thought it was unfair for her to do all the preparations. A fixation on fairness. Let me say this. A fixation on fairness is actually childish. It's children who are obsessed with fairness. I remember when my kids were little and I'd give them candy. You know what the first thing they do? Count. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> and we're the same way. We count our blessings, name them one by one, but that's not the problem. We're comparing our blessings with someone else. And we're saying, where's the fairness? Instead of focusing on the blessings that we receive, we compare our blessings with other people's blessings, and then it's no longer a blessing. In actuality, Martha could have simply stopped everything and, and just knelt at the feet of Jesus. Nothing and no one was holding her back but her own self. A lot of times we cry unfairness because of our own self. Because we expect people to be at our standard. And so, Martha's preoccupation with fairness was making her miserable. It will. If you want life to be fair, good luck. Life is not fair, then you die. That's, that's it. That's my, the summary of life. Life is not fair, then you die. And if we strive for fairness, trying to find fairness in life, it'll make you miserable. It'll make you paranoid and all sorts of things that aren't good. In fact... Feelings of unfairness will cause us to fret. I love the alliteration on the F. Let me say that again. Pastors love alliteration. So where am I? Uh, feelings of unfairness will cause us to fret. 
Psalms 37.1. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. Do you see what happens when we become envious? We become envious because we're comparing. Jealousy is because we're being childish. We're, we're looking at comparisons and fairness. And so when we are jealous and envious of others, it will lead to feelings of unfairness and fretting. If we can let go of the unrealistic expectation of fairness, we will feel better. If you can just let it go. God never promised to be fair. He promised to be just. And he deals with us individually on his justice. But fairness is this equality across the board and that we feel that God has to, if he blesses someone else, he has to bless us the same way. But how many of you know, we're the child with the count, and we're counting the pieces of candy in our hand and God is like, wow. I'm sure God said wow. <laughs> and so if we can let go of that, because I'm telling you, when you live a life always comparing and always wanting fairness, you will worry, you will be miserable. But if you can let it go, let go of that expectation of everything in life is going to be fair, you will feel better. Another manufacturer of worry is number seven, the need to control. Oh boy, I see people squirming right now, just right where they're at. They're trying to control me right now. The need to control. Mm. This was really hard to study and even harder to preach because that's me. I am a control freak. I'll be honest. I'm confessing right here, right now. And, and I wouldn't be a control freak if people would just go along with the plan. Amen. Then I, I'd be fine. I wouldn't have issues of control. But if people keep not going according to my plan. And so that's, it's not my fault that I'm a control freak. Martha, check this out. Martha literally tries to tell Jesus what he should do. I mean the hubris. Jesus, have you seen my lazy sister? You need to go tell her to come help me right now. Martha is telling Jesus what he needs to do. And she's trying, she's trying to take charge of the Son of God. Good luck with that. And you know, the reality, a lot of people tried to do with this with Jesus. You know why? Because they had an expectation and an image of Jesus in their own mind. Instead of letting God be God, we, we create an image that is not accurate. We've been studying that on Wednesday nights in the book of Job. And so we see that even the family of Jesus, even his own brothers, half-brothers, his own family would try to control him. Look at Mark 3, 20 and 21. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. And when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they, they said, he is out of his mind. Because they didn't believe in Jesus. They didn't believe he's the son of God. They grew up with him. And now he's doing miracles and all this stuff. And so they're thinking, he's nuts. 
Can you believe the audacity for the family of Jesus to come try to take charge of him? How dare they think they can take charge of Jesus? How dare we think we can control God? And I'm, I'm, sometimes that control is insidious. It's manipulative. It's not overt, but it's manipulative. We, we try to put things into place. We try to plant seeds in people's minds. The only one we have a right to control is ourselves. In fact, we have the responsibility to control ourselves. If we have a tendency to try and control things or other people, we have a choice. Here it is, according to Leslie Vernick. If we want greater happiness in life, it's time to reevaluate what's ruling our life. Is it power and the quest for control over people and things, or is it love? What do you want to control your life? What do you want to rule in your life? Is it power and the quest to control, or is it love? I'm telling you, if love is the focus of your life, you will know peace. You will know joy. And it's a way to overcome the worry it really is relinquishing control. And if, if the quest for control is ruling our lives, it'll ultimately ruin our lives. Here's the irony. We think if we can just control people and circumstances, we will be happy. However, being a control freak has made us miserable. For those one or two of you who, who apply. Another inducer of worry is number eight, a habit of overthinking. I thought a, a whole lot about this. Some of you will get that joke at lunch. Anyway, Martha was way overthinking the situation. She assumed Mary was lazy and irresponsible and selfish because all she wanted to do is fit it, sit at the feet of Jesus. And Martha overanalyzed. I mean, she's judging people's motives. She's judging Mary's motives. She's even judging Jesus because she overanalyzed this. And, and she overanalyzed it and said that Jesus was uncaring. I mean, you know, if you come to the conclusion Jesus doesn't care, you've overthought this too much. Overthinking things will bring on anxiety. This has been shown in research Psychologist Sonia, I am not even going to try to pronounce her last name, Lumber Miski, I guess I did try. She says this, the evidence that overthinking is bad for you is now vast and overwhelming. If you are someone plagued by ruminations, you are unlikely to become happier before you can break that habit. I will go so far as to say if you are an overthinker, one of the secrets to your happiness is the ability to Allay obsessive and overthink, obsessive overthinking to reinterpret and redirect your negative thoughts into more neutral or optimistic ones. I have found that truly happy people have the capacity to distract and absorb themselves in activities that divert their energies and attention away from dark or anxious ruminations. We need, there comes to a time we need to stop thinking about it. And one of the ways we stop thinking about it, is to occupy our mind with something else. To, to actually 
do something productive in our life. Not to the point of being over busy or too busy. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but it's like my mind has a mind of its own. You know what I'm saying? It, I try to control it. But this ornery brain in my head, it, sometimes it's rebellious. And I threaten that, you know, I'm going to take it out if you don't stop. I talk to my brain. I don't know about you. The Bible, the, the psalmist talks to his soul. Rejoice in the Lord, oh my soul. Sometimes you got to talk to yourself. Just, you know, do it privately. <laughs> and not while you're walking around on campus. Overanalyzing things hampers our happiness and worsens our worry. When we try to reason things out in our own minds, it becomes oppressive and burdensome. Well, I wonder if this is going to happen. Oh, and what if that happens? And what did she mean by that? And oh, no, I shouldn't have said that. Oh, my goodness, it's, going to, it's over. We're going to die. We're going to die. And, you know, it's usually a very petty thing that we magnify because we overthink it. We feed it. Look at Psalm 73, verse 2 through 3. The psalmist was upset about the wicked. They seemed to prosper and the, the righteous seemed to suffer. And he couldn't figure this out. Psalm 73, 2. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Drop down to verse 16. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Our thoughts can be oppressive. If we overthink, overanalyze, we try to interpret, and a lot of the times we are so far off base. I want to ask this question. Do we do more thinking than we do praying? I, I've found myself doing way more thinking than I do praying. You can overthink too much, but you can never overpray too much. I will speak on this more later. But if we would spend more time praying and less time thinking, we would have less worry and anxiety. And we can, we can do all the thinking we want, and it may not change a thing, but you do all the praying, and it will change things. It'll either change you or your circumstances. And so we leave the choice up to God, which it's going to be. But I, I, I find myself thinking about every scenario, every in and out, every possibility. And if I would have just, and before I know it, an hour has gone by. And I've been thinking of this one thing, just obsessing over it. And it's oppressive. It doesn't make you feel better. It makes you feel worse. And so what we need to do is stop. Stop overthinking and start praying. Because prayer can make a difference. And the way to conquer overthinking is prayer. And the word, meditating on the word, biblical meditation. We'll talk more about that later when we learn about the cures for worry. Now, all of these things add up to number nine, becoming anxious. This is the same word Jesus used in Matthew 6.25 when he says, do not worry. And so for review, let's learn, let's learn the definition of the word again. Worry, merimnao, means anxious care, troubled, to think earnestly upon, to be, to be cumbered with many cares, 
to have an anxious concern based on an apprehension about possible, not, not realistic, but possible danger or misfortune, to have a distracting care perpetually uneasy, always a little on edge, little pins and needles, always just at the periphery of anxiety taking over. That's what worry does to us, and all these things will work worry into our lives. Being overly occupied, too busy, distracted, overwhelmed, thinking God doesn't care, feeling unfairness, the need to control, and the habit of overthinking. And so it will not only cause anxiety and worry, number 10, it will cause us to be troubled. The word for troubled or upset is only used this one time in the whole Bible. And so the word troubled, thorobazo, means to be bothered or distracted or disturbed. Now it comes from a root word, thorobu, thorubu, thorubu. Yes, let's work on that. And the root word means to make a noise or uproar, be turbulent, a loud and ostentatious lamentation or wailing to throw into confusion. So all of these things, the overthinking, the, the saying that God doesn't care, this will bring us to a place of confusion. And God is not the God of confusion. God is the God of order and peace. And he wants our mind to be at peace. And so this root word is found in Mark chapter 538. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And so these were paid mourners. They were paid to cry. How do you do? I couldn't do that. You know, some, some folks can cry on a dime. I, I have to really work it up, smack myself around a little bit. And... But... These, that's how they did it in Bible times. They would hire people to cry for you. So you help you through the mourning and grief process. It probably started out as a good thing, but then it became like Job's friends, which wasn't good. Stay tuned for Wednesday night. Because something happened Wednesday night that I'm going to tell you about on Wednesday night. This coming Wednesday night. I told you, if I, if I teach Job, I have to live it. So we be there Wednesday night. A little commercial there. Worry will cause a lot of internal noise and confusion in our minds. And so, how many would agree we need to find a cure? This is messed up. We need a cure. And we're going to find that out next Sunday, Lord willing, and the saints don't rise. And so we're going to take some time to worship before we close. And I've asked Nathan to lead us in this song. And I encourage you, if God has spoken to you in any one of these areas, are you overly occupied? Are you too busy? Have you become distracted or overwhelmed? Have you ever said the words, God, don't you care? Do you feel things are unfair or do you struggle with control? Or does your mind just run wild with overthinking? If any of those areas spoke to you this morning, as we worship, would you just bring that before the Lord in your hearts? The worship team is gonna continue to pray. There's a, there's a sense of the Lord's spirit here today.
I sensed it in worship. I would, I would like to ask all the elders, the board members and their spouses, would you come to the front? I believe God wants to do work here this morning. In any of those areas, I would invite you to come and receive prayer or you can kneel in the altars by yourself. I'm gonna dismiss in a few moments, but the service is gonna continue on because the spirit of God is in this place right here, right now. And he's here to deliver us from fear. Mercy is falling like rain. It's falling like rain on your dry and weary life, on your broken heart. So I would invite you and I dismiss in just a few moments. If you want prayer, maybe you're, you're battling with overthinking and fear and worry and anxiety. You need someone to stand with you. Or maybe you, you're ready to give your life to Jesus Christ. You've never come to the Lord. But now you're ready. You're ready to surrender. Because you've been in control and it hasn't worked. Let God have control of your life. And so if you want to become a Christian, you want to give your life to Christ, come down when I dismiss. You need prayer. You need a miracle. You need a healing. You need just to be set free of whatever it may be. There's power in prayer. And there's power in numbers. And so I would just like to ask the rest of us, we're going to be free to go if we keep our conversation to the foyer. Because there are people here in the altars, people that will stay in their seats to worship. Won't be a formal dismissal today, but I will speak the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Our worship service begins at 1030 every Sunday. You can join us in person or online. We broadcast live on both Facebook and YouTube. We would love for you to join us and be our guest this Sunday. Our address is 4901 California Avenue, Bakersfield, California. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.